We are called Christ Fellowship because at the center of everything, we want to gather around the person and work of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is a real person. We believe that Jesus lived in history, died on a cross, and was raised from the dead. And we believe that we are united to Him by faith. We spend time together as a church studying the Bible because we believe the Bible is God's holy word. We believe the Bible tells us who God is, why we exist, what God expects of us, and what He did to save us from the miseries of sin and death. And I don't spend much time in my preaching telling stories or sharing advice or trying to entertain you because I don't want to distract you from the Word of God. I want us to learn Scripture together. Because I believe what Hebrews 4 says, that the Word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word does that without me. I believe the Holy Spirit chooses to use the preaching of God's Word to change people's lives. I don't need to dress it up. I certainly don't need to try and use God's Word for my own agenda to tell you things that I want you to know or hear. My goal is simply to rightly handle the Word. As Paul says in 2 Timothy, that's my job. Rightly handle it, entrust it to you, and I trust that God will do the rest. And so this morning, we are in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to read a brief story about Jesus, and this story clearly shows us the heart of God. It's one of the most compelling stories in the Bible, and I'm very excited for us to study it together. This is Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. It says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So this is a funeral procession. They are on the way to bury this man. But for us to understand what's happening, I think it's important for us to consider the differences between a first century Jewish funeral and a modern American funeral. So for us, 
a funeral um, may happen days or in some cases even weeks after the death takes place, right? But a Jewish funeral, even today, happens within 24 hours of death. And so this mother's grief is fresh. She may still be in shock that her only son has perished. For us, funerals typically involve sort of quietly crying. And really, if you, you, know, if you go to our funerals, typically nobody makes much noise at all except for maybe the family down on the front row, the front two rows, right? A first century Jewish funeral was very, very loud. People wailed at the top of their lungs. There were professional flute players and professional mourners who were typically hired by the family to sort of add to the procession. Even poor people were expected to hire at least a few of these professional mourners and flute players because that extra noise allowed the family to grieve openly without fear of embarrassment. They wanted it to be loud for the sake of the family who was grieving. It was also expected that the whole town would drop what they were doing and attend the funeral. In this case, there are probably around 400 people walking out of the city to bury this widow's son. Verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. So I want you to see Jesus. Jesus ignores the crowd. He ignores the flute players and the professional mourners and the you know, 400 other people walking out of this town. And it says Jesus saw her. So he immediately sees the widow. And he focuses his attention on her. Luke tells us that Jesus had compassion on her. Compassion is a feeling word. It's emotional language, right? So in contrast, consider the emotion of anger. What does anger typically look like? Physically, what does anger look like? It's, it's a, a tense body. It's a red face, right? Maybe a clenched jaw. Voice raised. It looks like threatening, right? It looks threatening to another person to see someone physically angry. In contrast to that, what does compassion look like? We don't think about this, but feelings always have some sort of look to them. Compassion looks calm. It looks focused. It speaks softly 
it gently moves toward another person, not in a threatening way, but in a, in a kind way. It feels the other person's pain and moves in. Now, I'm not good at this, to be honest with you. But Jesus was amazing at it. Why might Jesus feel compassion for this woman? What is it that he sees in her? I think he sees a woman who has lost everything. Luke tells us she's already a widow, so she's lost her husband. And now she's lost her only son. Which, in and of itself, losing a child is has been said to be like the, the most painful thing that a person can really experience in this life. But you also have to understand, I think this is important information, this would have been a huge economic disaster for her as well. The modern equivalent would be something like losing your income, your health insurance, your pension, your savings, everything. And Jesus sees her, and he deeply understands this. He senses her loss. We also know that grief is extremely stressful. It's one of the most stressful things that a human being can experience. Grieving people experience sadness and anger. They experience guilt and fear. And sometimes all of those at the same time, right? In ancient times, people felt extremely guilty when a loved one died because in their culture, everyone assumed that they were being punished for some particular failure on their part or the part of the loved one, right? And remember, this woman's son had died just a few hours ago. So this is, this is raw. She's right in the middle of all of this. And Jesus approaches this woman and He tells her not to weep. Which means He's either being incredibly insensitive or He is intentionally introducing hope. And this is a tricky situation because this is a mother weeping for her recently dead son. When is, when is it okay for a mother to tell her child not to cry? When she knows the pain will go away, right? We say to our children, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be all right. Don't cry. Right? Because we know this is going to pass. The hurt, whatever it is you're upset about, it's going to be okay. Right? You understand Jesus is the 
only person who has the right to tell us not to cry in the midst of suffering like this. And it's because he's the only one who has the power to really do something about it and who knows he is going to do something about it. And so if he didn't, to tell this woman not to cry would have been an ugly thing to do. Verse 14. Then he came up and he touched the bier and the bearer stood still and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. I want you to notice that everyone had kept moving until this moment. So everybody's still moving. The procession is still moving until Jesus puts his hand on what's essentially the casket. It's an open, an open casket. Jesus doesn't wave them down. He doesn't shout over the noise of the wailing crowd to get their attention. He's not trying to draw attention to himself at all. Instead, he walks directly to the source of this woman's pain and he immediately fixes it. Verse 15, the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. So what I want you to see is this entire situation is entirely about the woman. He goes to her and offers her this moment of hope. Then he goes to the son immediately. He doesn't make her linger in it. He goes to him immediately, raises him from the dead, then returns him to the mother. This was a gift for her. Now understand, this was not a gift for the son. One of the reasons that I'm convinced that Jesus raised very few people in his ministry is because no one really wants to live and die twice in this world. This is not a gift for the Son. It was not a gift for Lazarus to be raised, right? Jesus did it a few times to demonstrate his power over death, but it was not a blessing for the dead man. It's a blessing for the widow in the circumstances that she's in, but not not for this young man. The Apostle Paul said to die is gain, right? I'd, I'd much rather wake up in the next life than wake up again in this life. But still, Jesus does do this a few times. And in this case, it has great effect on the crowd. Verse 16 Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. That's an understatement, right? And God has visited his people. That's better. Verse 17, And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So the people worship God for what they saw, which is good. That's absolutely a good thing, that they're giving glory to God for this miracle. But I want you to notice that the way Luke tells the story, Jesus doesn't seem concerned about their opinion of Him at all. 
Now, if a modern preacher raised someone from the dead, what would happen next? Preacher goes on world tour with formerly dead man, right? He's selling the book rights. He's selling the movie rights. He's going to take up an offering in every town. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus raised a man from the dead, gave him back to his mother, and walked away. And he's actually trying to teach his disciples something. I'm convinced that everything Jesus did in his ministry with his disciples watching, he just finished a whole chapter where he's preaching to his disciples, right, about love. And he just demonstrated to them in this moment, I want you to do something. Now, and it, it's nothing to do with the crowds. It's just, I want you to just fix stuff as you can. Pray for stuff to happen. And what does that tell us about the heart of Jesus? It tells us that this was genuine compassion. This was not a means to an end. Jesus does not use this grieving woman to build a platform for His ministry. This is not a trophy Jesus is hanging you know, out in the foyer of His church. His concern for her was genuine. Likewise, God does not care about numbers or success the way we do. Love is not concerned with any of that stuff that the modern American church is typically concerned with. This story is about how God loves us. He looks at us. He has compassion for us. And then He acts on our behalf. I want you to notice also, this is important, Luke never mentions the woman's faith. The word faith is not in this story. Now Luke told us about the faith of the centurion last week. Very often in the Gospels, the stories do tell us about the faith of the people whom Jesus helps. But not here. There is no mention of her faith at all. And that tells us that Jesus had the power to help whoever He wanted to help. He was not always bound by the faith of the person in need as some modern preachers would have us believe. So I want you to see that. And one last thing. The reason everyone stopped when Jesus touched the casket is because they were shocked. Contact with a dead body or even the casket of the dead body would make you unclean for a week. Even touching the pallbearers who were holding it 
made you unclean. And so nobody did that unless it was necessary, unless they were carrying it, unless they were preparing the body to be buried. It's a risky thing to do in Jewish society, but that's exactly what Jesus did. Now, we know from last week, Jesus doesn't have to even be in the room to heal somebody or to raise them from the dead. He could have stood at a safe distance, snapped his fingers, sun raised. Instead, he intentionally walks up to it, puts his hand on it, and in doing so makes a statement, and the entire procession stops. Because this is what Jesus does. He goes right to the source of the pain, no matter the cost to himself. And it might help to consider, Jesus still does this. He still meets us right in the middle of our pain and suffering. He still sees us. He's still moving toward us. He still has the power to do something about it. Now, I want you to understand, he may not do what you want him to do or what you expect him to do in those moments specifically, right? Jesus didn't raise every dead man while he walked the earth. He didn't heal every sick servant or every sick person that he met. But one day he will. He did those things to prove that he has the power to do it, and he promises that one day he will make literally all things new. All things. No more sickness. No more death. No more tears. And he proved his love and his power to do it at the cross. Jesus met us right at the source of all pain. He carried our sin with him and he fell willingly under the judgment that we deserve because of our sin. God looked at humanity. He saw us. He was moved with compassion. And He did something about it. And what He did involved Him losing His only Son. Hebrews tells us that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in all of our struggles. Lastly, as followers of Jesus, as people who have experienced His compassion, we are also being taught by the Spirit how to show compassion for the people that God puts in our lives. He's teaching us how to see them, and look, for some of us, it takes a lot of lessons. <laughs> how to see them, how to move towards them, how to meet their needs if we're able to meet their needs, or how to pray if it's something that's beyond our ability. God is doing that in His people. He's promised to do that for us. And I would like for us to be known as a compassionate church. Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. 
Now look, there is no perfect church. If you find it, don't join it because you'll mess it up, right? You've heard this. There is no perfect church, but love covers a multitude of sins. And so I would love for us to consider ways that we can do this together. That we, as God's church, as His disciples, can move towards other people in a way that says, I see you, I care about what's going on in your life, and I, I want to show Jesus in the midst of it. And so I would love for us to consider ways that we can do this together, how we can serve together, and let's pray to the God of compassion and ask for His help. Amen? Father, we do come before You and we thank You for this picture of Jesus Christ who became like us for us. We call this the incarnation, that God became man. You took on flesh, Lord Jesus. You walked among us. You saw us. You saw the, the, the broken relationship between us and the Father. And you moved right into the middle of it, right into the source of that pain and suffering, and you met us there. We're grateful. We're going to celebrate your goodness to us in song and in fellowship in just a moment. But we ask you, Lord, to help make us more like you. Help us to be more obedient to the Great Commission. Help us, by your Spirit, to be more like you in the way you see people. We pray that that would flow from a greater understanding of the love that you have for us, but that we would seek to represent you well to the people that you've placed in our lives. Whether it's people who are grieving, people who are suffering from illness, people who feel alone, Lord, help us to be that for them. For your sake, not for our own, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.